on set, there'd be brief, as far as blocking everything out, that would all happen in rehearsals to various extents, whether that's doing the scenes clothed or doing them without making actual contact, but mapping the different beats for different shots. It would all happen there, so it'd be very ready to go by the time on set. Hi, welcome to Best and Fest, and I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for everyone who wants to learn more about television and film and making content for that and learning the dirty little secrets that make Hollywood tick. Today, I've got uh, a duo, a filmmaking duo, uh, Fernando Andres and Tyler Rue. I am really pleased to have these two filmmakers on board because they've created a really interesting uh, feature film called Three Headed Beasts. And they are um, this wonderful new emerging filmmaking duo. They participated in the uh, Tribeca Film Festival with their film, and I'm super happy to have them on board. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Let's talk a little bit about where you guys stem from. Tyler, where did this obsession come from? Um, nothing too complicated. Just always love movies, love storytelling, love filmmaking. And meeting Fernando is kind of a gateway to a lot of films I uh, hadn't previously seen. And I think at that age when your brain is ripe to be uh, developed at very quick rates, when you're kind of exposed to something, become obsessed with it and binge on it. Um, that was definitely a really important part of that process. So, Did you know that you had such a great working relationship off of that first one? You know, did you guys plan on, you know, being this, you know, dynamic duo, so to speak, as you moved forward? Lost Fernando, but um, I'm sure he'll be back on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what made me and Fernando click so well was uh, similarity of sensibility. I think finding the same things in movies interesting and finding things funny that other people um, not just because we weren't around film people, but even now being around like other filmmaker friends and stuff. I think we just have a very idiosyncratic take on so many things that we think are like very cringy or kind of ridiculous or interesting or make for good dramatic storytelling. And I think as far as a process of working together, that also really works well with the writing and the directing and stuff on set. Um, so, yeah. So when you guys are constructing or when you started constructing your short films, uh, did one of you take more of the lead in writing or how does that work? Um, because there's a lot of young writers that also are duos, you know, that write together and those that may be singular writers that want to write with someone else. How does that relationship work with you two? Um, with us, it's just always about brainstorming and coming up with ideas and riffing and talking about stuff and kind of getting to a point where an idea feels like it's there's enough meat on the bone, so to speak, that it can just kind of pour out of you, whether that's me doing a really long draft or Fernando and then passing stuff back and forth. We don't really write together in the same room uh, too much. I know some writing duos do that. That's never been our thing. But a lot of passing drafts back and forth and pitching different ideas and developing in that way. Um, and as far as in high school, I don't particularly remember. I think a lot of it would be what kind of movies were we obsessed with and how could we do a version of that with our friends. So well, you did the Tarantino one and then the Coen Brothers one and the horror one. So it was definitely kind of thinking about those ideas and that kind of stuff. Well, we're waiting for Fernando to jump back on. Um, when you guys started creating um, together, did you um, at that youthful age um, 
start submitting your shorts to the uh, festival circuit? Did you um, just screen them for your friends and family? How did that really work for you in a little bit of that youthful audience development? It was mostly for YouTube. I feel like we were self-aware enough to know what we were making weren't the most artful um, things necessarily. And we definitely had an audience of friends and other people our age and peers we, we knew through, you know, the film connections, but uh, we're very aware that, that festivals and stuff uh, wasn't exactly where our head was at. It was a lot of kind of doing the reps and getting the muscle memory of making things and the, you know, repetition of doing that over and over and being on sets with different stories and different actors and different challenges. Um, so Submitting stuff to festivals didn't really become a reality or even that much of a goal until kind of college um, when the work we were doing felt more, you know, ready for that. And How did that work out for you guys? Did you attend the same college? Can you talk about what that experience was? Um, you know, you had some self-training, right, from middle school through high school on making these films. How did that cross over into your college experience? Definitely. I mean, um, for that, uh, I did not go to film school. I went to Texas A&M and College Station. Fernando went to UT and he did attend the RTF program, but then ended up dropping out. Um, I won't speak for him, but I believe kind of the same reason I wasn't as interested in film school, just because filmmaking was my film school and working on different sets, whether they be commercials or our own sets or sets for other short films and doing all the different jobs and learning things in that way was so much uh, more useful. And for me, my degree was always going to be kind of the backup plan, you know, to have in case that was ever needed. Um, and I think for Fernando, he definitely felt that the experience he got from uh, working on sets was more valuable than the investment that that school sometimes is. So, you know, there's a there's, you know, twofold kind of thing that's happening in the youthful filmmakers, right? You have those that are self-trained, much like you and Fernando. Uh, there are those that are hardcore film school, you know, grads. Um, you know, how do you feel that plays for you or, uh, you know, or against you, let's say, in your filmmaking? Because I want to I wanted to lead into this very successful feature film that you guys have, you know, now. So can you, you know, maybe explore a little bit of that experience and and, you know, what your advice would be for those listening in? Yes. I mean, I think film school can be great for all sorts of things. I we met many talented people Fernando met through um, those connections made there. And it's such a breeding ground for creativity. And I think different programs offer different things. So I can't speak to that as much since I wasn't there. But as far as the film we just made, it was very much a product of the kind of opposite furthest removed approach imaginable where we very much wanted to do something just on our own. Cause we knew the idea was fairly out there and fairly the kind of thing that we didn't want to be in a position to be producing it with people who were not as passionate as we were. So when me and Fernando sat my two roommates down and said, Hey, this is our idea. And those are people that he's known since film school and um, are very tight with and filmmakers in their own right. And we all knew that it would be a lot of work, but we also had all had the experience of being on sets before where there's so many people and you have the money, but people might not be as invested. And also sometimes so many people, depending on the project can be, can sometimes get in the way and sometimes slow things down. And a movie like this, it was going to be very run and gun. Um, Fernando 
shot it and edited it all. I did sound on a lot of scenes. Um, so a lot of times on set, it would just be me and him. Sometimes my two roommates I mentioned previously, Connor Maddox, who both produced the film and did wore a ton of different hats. Um, our intimacy coordinator as well. We have a lot of intimate scenes in the film, but it was very small. And I think finding collaborators that you can be on the same page with is hugely important. Um, right. Well, let's, let's, I think, explore a little bit of that. Um, you know, how you came up with the story with Fernando, where, where did you get the kernel of, of this storyline and tell us a little, you know, synopsis for those listening in that, you know, want to track where this is screening in the future, a little bit about the film. Definitely. So once again, won't uh, put words in Fernando's mouth, but how we've always talked about it is he had a experience very similar to that, which is in the film, which is specifically, he had just gotten out of a long relationship uh, and off the breakup was kind of dating around looking for people. And he ended up meeting a man who's in an open relationship with a woman. Um, and he became very connected with that man. They went on lots of dates and had a great kind of vibe together. But there's always this kind of strangeness with that dynamic where after their dates, he would go home to his girlfriend, be with her. And he ended up, um, as seen in the movie, as happens in the movie, he ended up dog sitting for them. He ended up going over for dinner and meeting the girl. And he always says, and it's true, the difference between the movie and that situation is that couple was very healthy. They communicated very well. They did not have a lot of problems, but of course, healthy relationships don't always make the most interesting movies. So as he was going through a lot of those things, he would always be talking to me about not just, I think his emotional state, you know, after a breakup and navigating all these feelings, but also just the reality of the situation and how it would make for an interesting drama because it definitely the three competing perspectives was a big part of what we were interested in kind of a movie of three main characters and this situation so we ended up writing it and obviously embellishing a huge amount but the jumping off point was very much from that very personal very lived-in experience how did you um or how did you and fernando um how did you guys uh, uh feel about really incorporating the music element, you know, into this script, this, this feature that has this hot Texas steamy, you know, element to it. Yes. So music, we knew fairly early on, we always wanted to be a huge part of it. We are lucky over the past few years, we've fostered an amazing working relationship with a composer named Ryan Faber, who's also a musician in his own right. And we met him actually back in 2018 or 2019 on um, Letterboxd, the film review site. Fernando read a review of his for Koana Quatsi and looked at his SoundCloud. And he's an extremely talented musician. And he worked with us on a few shorts and would fly... Um, fly up from Detroit where he lives to Austin to work on things. And so we always knew we wanted his music to be, you know, very heavily involved in the film and something that listeners might not know that I is a decently important part of the film is that it has no dialogue. Um, so we knew that a movie with no talking, the sound design and also the score would be such important elements because we couldn't just, you know, have the whole thing be silent. It's not a silent film by any means. There's tons of sounds and, of course, tons of music, not just her soundtrack, but all of Ryan's um, work, which figures in heavily. It's a daring choice what you guys uh, did with the feature. Uh, who Who was the 
the kernel of of coming up with that daring choice on dialogue? I think as me and Fernando were passing back drafts and developing the idea and working on it, we were never at a point where we were able to plow through an entire feature length draft. We would write scenes that we were content with and thought were good, but uh, just felt like a struggle to really connect everything and to make this like story flow and full of everything we wanted it to be. So at a certain point, kind of I as a joke said like, oh, I wish we could just take out the dialogue because so many of the scenes that we had that I thought were really strong that me and Fernando liked had been conceived with no dialogue, whether they be the intimate scenes where characters' sexuality is kind of the physicality of that is expressing themselves or scenes where the characters are doing their job and we're showing that. So that joke very quickly became a reality because it fit the story very organically. And we realized it might be the most interesting way to do what we're doing because there's so many films, indie films about relationships and many of those films are incredible, but we knew we wanted ours to stand out. And so many of the, and I don't use it in a negative way, but so many of the mumblecore films we like loved, we would watch and think, ah, that's great. But what if we could do that without the talking? And of course, talking is all most mumblecore movies are, but we were interested in the camera and the images and the sounds almost being this kind of maximalist force that, you know, engage people and didn't push them away. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a really European kind of uh, choice, Uh, not necessarily a Hollywood commercial uh, choice that has really yielded success for you. Um, uh, Talk about the casting and how that came into be. So yes, of course, making the film the way we did our casting process, we got extremely lucky with our three leads and all the supporting roles. Everyone was very game, but it was very much a process of finding people that of course we liked and of course were talented actors, but also could work the way this film demanded. So it was, okay, we're gonna pay this much. It's gonna be 28 days of shooting. It's gonna be silent. Uh, well, it's not gonna have dialogue, and it's going to have all these intimate scenes, which you know, not every actor, understandably, is something. It's a very vulnerable thing for an actor to do, and um, those were kind of the not conditions, but those were the boxes that had to be checked. And above all that, also actors who were right for the roles and extremely um, competent and talented. And we ended up finding three, luckily, all of whom this is their first feature um, films and worked extremely well so well it's interesting um you know you've mentioned the intimacy factor and that was an important uh plot element especially when you are don't have a lot don't have dialogue right um you know the intimacy coordinator that's a new position, relatively new in, in Hollywood and in films. And, and that was really, you know, um, not really done 10, 15 years ago. That, that didn't exist. So for those that have those intimate um, scenes that are listening in in our, in our pod viewership, um, can you explain how you plotted out, worked with, um, planned those intimate scenes and then how you worked with your intimacy coordinator and how you found your intimacy coordinator as an interest because it's an it's a very interesting piece you know of the film it certainly is yes we got extremely lucky once again so much of this movie and so much of movies in general is just how lucky you are at any given moment um we've had a fair share of bad luck but a lot of things went right 
on this project and the actress uh Danny Hortado who plays uh Nina in the film is one of our three leads is remarkable and her roommate Alicia Toplanicki um had been studying sex therapy and had expressed interest in the idea of as you were saying this new kind of emerging thing working in film and this new position of being a intimacy coordinator so it was her first time doing it on a feature film and I mean, we would not have been able to make the movie without her, not even make it comfortable for the actors, make it period. It was a hugely important part of the process. And the actors could obviously speak to uh, how she facilitated it better than maybe I could. But for me and Fernando, it was a lot about the thinking. We thought of the intimate scenes of the film almost as the set pieces, the action sequences. So each of them we very much thought through very heavily and storyboarded and worked through um, and wrote in very fine detail. So all the hand movements, all the touching was very clear. And then we shared that with Alicia, sometimes with uh, greater details, sometimes asking her thoughts on how to develop things. And then she, with the actors, would go through rehearsals and talk about boundaries and all these different things that um, made when we were on set very good. And if they're ever needed to be um, communication between the actors and us, Alicia uh, was a great conduit to that. So so how did a, you know, take me through, a, you know, the shooting of one of the intimate scenes, like how did it go? You, you wrote it, you were very detailed, you kicked it over to the intimacy coordinator days, weeks, months before she, you know, sat down, met with the actors. Now it's the day of shooting. How did she, did she plot out the movements? Did you, how did that really work? Cause it, there's a lot of confusion on this like new position and how that the person works with uh, the directors on set and the actors on set. Can you, um, you know, elaborate? I'm sure it's different for every project. And I'm sure Alicia could uh, share details that I wasn't as much privy to because as doing so many things on our own with this film, I'm sure there were things we were not as looped in on, on the process as we could have been, but that's why Alicia was so incredible carrying it. But on set, there'd be brief, as far as blocking everything out, that would all happen in rehearsals to various extents, whether that's doing the scenes clothed or doing them without making actual contact, but mapping the different beats for different shots. It would all happen there, so it'd be very ready to go by the time on set. And on set, there'd be brief discussions about how everything's going and just making sure everyone's comfortable, sometimes meditation and stuff to get everyone in just a kind of relaxed headspace because we didn't want to feel like scared of shooting these scenes. You know, you don't want to treat it like it's some super serious, like drastic. It's not dealing with explosives or something on set, but they would then rehearse in the actual space. And then we would always have pre-discussed how many takes we were going to do. And at what point in a take, we would maybe say stop if something isn't working so we could repeat it. So it would be like that. And I think it's a, as everything in filmmaking preparation pays off. And I think because we had actors and an intimacy coordinator guiding the process who were so willing to overcommit and overprepare. I think it made things very smoothly on set. All right. So now let's, let's kind of segue um, to you've now got your finished product, right? And, and you are now uh, looking at soliciting this to film festivals really for, you know, the first time a, a significant piece that you felt uh, was ready right to submit to film festivals so um 
How did the experience with getting selected and and going to Tribeca uh, work for you and this film? Well, can you detail that out on on what that was for you? I mean, it was a total dream. Uh, it's definitely uh, still feels a little surreal as something that happened. But we had gone through a few different cuts of the film, figuring out uh, sometimes very small details, sometimes big reworking of scenes and taking things out or restructuring stuff and managing things. So we had gotten the film to a point where we were fairly content with it and we submitted it to festivals and got some rejections. And Tribeca, I mean, credit to them, uh, people sometimes say, and maybe there's some truth to it, that uh, festivals are political and it's about, you know, they all these things, they want big stars there, they want blah blah But for us with this film, you know, we have, it's first time filmmakers, first time actors, tiny little movie for Texas. And they saw something in it. We had an amazing programmer, uh, Lucy um, from Tribeca, who could not have championed us more and truly understood the movie in a way that it, it's a dream for, you know, anyone to understand your movie as much as you feel like you do. Nonetheless, like a programmer with that amount of authority and her, her, uh, their position at a festival like that. And it truly um, could not have gone better. I mean, the experience of being at Tribeca, also a dream, meeting other filmmakers, um, at, like their mixers and stuff. And it's, it was great. Our screenings there were amazing. So That's good. That's good. Uh, now, can you, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of um, expert professionals working in the industry for billions of years. Right. And then I speak to also new emerging filmmakers like you and Fernando. Um, uh, it's interesting because when you are experiencing a f the film festival circuit um, for the first time and you land at one of the larger film festivals, right. Um, you know, do you feel that you are as prepared um, for um the festival do you can you can you look back and go well you know next time around i'm going to do this this and this or you know i could have done this and this do you have any advice on you know that that first time experience going to a large film festival that you can share with others who are also first time filmmakers certainly yeah i mean there are many things i think every step of the filmmaking process there are things you know whether it's pre-production production and post, there are always things it's like, ah, wish we did that differently. It would have been better. And that's true of the press and festival circuit as well. But um, I think just we definitely were in a position where we knew with the backing we had compared to some of the films in competition that are just bigger and amazing films. We were lucky to see quite a few in our section and they're, it's surreal to see like, oh, we're in the same block as that film. Um, but we did not have the biggest media machine behind us. So I think me and Fernando just went into the fest knowing that it wasn't as going to be, wasn't as much going to be a New York trip for us. Obviously we were in New York. It was amazing, but we knew that a lot of our time was going to be dedicated towards the film itself. So whether that was meeting people and inviting them out or talking to people, it was very much uh, the the grind of just doing Tribeca things and being involved. And they put on such a great festival, as I'm sure most festivals do, of making it uh, environment that if that's the position you're in where you don't have the biggest uh, biggest presence necessarily, your smaller movie like ours, they're 
it, it's not like no one's going to come to your movie. There's definitely the resources if you can, you know, kind of exploit them to get the word out. So, well, let's talk about exploitation on your movies. So, you know, ha are you utilizing or did you utilize the Tribeca machine to help um, reach out to distributors? Do you have any interest at this point from distributors um, willing to take on this really indie, you know, and I don't want to say experimental, but, but you know, very indie, you know, niche um, film that may not, you know, may not land on every platform, OTT platform. Certainly, yes. We were always aware that this was a very, as you're saying, niche. Not exactly. We we always talk about it and ask people after they've seen it, do you think it's experimental? Because it certainly is, but it's not a avant-garde. It's not like Stan Brackage or something. But it is certainly not a traditional movie. There's no talking, you know. It's a very unique choice that I think makes for an engaging viewing, but not a traditional one. And for us, I mean, we had not low expectations by any means, but, and are still talking to distributors and figuring things out. But of course the boost that a Tribeca in competition selection gives you is definitely a big part of why I think we've been able to get so many amazing people to come out and see the film and hopefully continually as it screens other places. And if a distributor, uh, something works out as their talks to do so, I think it'll continue to be wind in the sails for the, the project because Tribeca, they, have the reputation they do for, for a reason. And it's an honor to be a part of that and benefiting from it. Tell us and the listening audience where you're moving on to next. If you, if you know what your next, you know, festival selection might be or where uh, they can. Yeah, exactly. Follow you guys. Yeah. So we are still waiting on international premiere, which we hope we have a few, things in the works. So that could be very exciting, but uh, equally exciting is our hometown screening in Austin is going to be at Aglif, uh, Austin Gay and Lesbian International Film Festival. Um, and that is next month at the end of August. So we are still figuring out when exactly we screen, but that'll be very fun to screen in the city where we shot. Um, so that'll be great. That's great. Now, I'm not familiar. Are they going to also have a virtual element that people maybe who are listening in and can't make it to Texas? Will they be able to tap in and and see it through a virtual element? That's a good question. I do not know, but possibly so many festivals do now. So, yes, we, we've all started segueing into that hybrid, you know, model. Um, what is your advice to young filmmakers, either uh, going through the festival circuit, making that first, you know, debut feature um, that you can share with uh, those listening? Meet people you work really well with. Not everyone has to be a directing duo, but you can make a movie on your own. Um, so it's very important to find people where you share sensibilities, you share goals, you share passions. I think that's what's made our little film family um, so successful and hopefully continues to. And I just say, uh, don't be precious about um, the things you make. I mean, I think so much of what got us to this point was the um, luckily now unfindable, unwatchable scrub from the internet short films from high school, but doing those and getting through periods of just exploring things and trying things out is what kind of, you know, paying your dues as an artist in the way, because not all of it's good, but it, it gets you to a point where you have a familiarity with things. And as you grow as a storyteller and your interest and stuff, it definitely for us has um, 
been vital. So great piece of advice. Um, what can you, what little secret have you discovered along your path that you wish you had known? <laughs> um, that you've got, you know, if I had known this, that would have been very helpful that you can share with us. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, not exactly a secret, but something that I might not have always been the most proactive about. And I think we have, but I think me and Fernando have been surprised just how generous sometimes filmmakers can be. I think, you know, you have to have faith in the the work you're showing them, but we've had great luck with just kind of reaching out blindly to filmmakers, whether that's inviting them to the screening or whether that's showing like a rough cut and being like, Hey, I know you're doing such and such and we don't know each other. Or if it's somebody we have kind of a passing familiarity with. Um, I think oftentimes people are very, and not that people would be ungenerous if they um, did not extend the courtesy of, you know, watching something we're sharing or talking to us about what they think about it. But so many people, um, are to young emerging talent. And I think that's something can't be discouraged if there are rejections, but I think uh, always surprised how willing certain people are to lend their time and energy to talk to you about your movie. Excellent. Where can people uh, follow you? Um, straight, LGBTQ+, plus, uh, you know, film audiences, where can they see this really interesting um, film that you guys have created? Um, and they can follow, uh, yeah, the history of where you're screening. Definitely. Yeah. Our film's Instagram is three headed film and it's three spelled out. So three headed film on Instagram is where you, uh, we have updated it throughout our festival run and with behind the scenes pictures for anyone who wants to see those, but, um, and we'll continue to update it with other screenings and there are definitely things on the horizon. So that's a great place for people who hope to at some point watch it. We definitely hope that anyone who wants to will be able to, and that will be the place we can share that. Well, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for joining me. And um, we, for those listening in, we lost Fernando. His internet uh, was not so strong. And so we, and yeah, Austin temperatures must have just warped out his internet. We weren't, be, we weren't able to uh, uh, capture his interview today. Uh, but I do want to, you know, invite you guys back when you have some more success with the film and ho hopefully when you get a distribution deal, then we can talk about that. Um, but we've been, yeah, but I've been, um, and you've been listening to Fernando Andres and Tyler Rue, um, a young filmmaker duo from Austin, Texas, who wrote, directed, um, they acted as cinematographer and editors and camera operators, pretty much a one-stop shopping with their film Three-Headed Beast that has recently screened at the Tribeca Film Festival and is moving on to the Austin Circuit Film Festival um, currently. I want to thank you very much for joining uh, Best in Fest, uh, Tyler, and wish you and Fernando uber success um, and you will have to come back um, when you guys get distribution so we can talk all about you know how you went from this kernel to that kernel with this huge debut success thank you again um, for joining me on best in fest <laughs> and for all those that want to yeah and for the, all those that want to see the video component you can see it on our youtube channel you can tap in there don't forget to uh rate us and um rank us and dm us uh on all the uh podcast platforms you're listening to best in fest mm -hmm.